welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Kale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 8th chapter. I'm going to invite you to be seated this morning during the reading of the Gospel lesson for bit out of character, I know, but a teaching moment. Let's take advantage of the texts that we've had as they point us in the, the direction of teaching today. And I want to read the gospel lesson to you, and I'm going to read it rather out of the lectionary. I want to read it out of a reference book. The reference book is called Synopsis of the Four Gospels. Uh, it is uh, um, uh, both for scholars and lay folk, uh, the left-hand panel contains uh, everything in Greek, and the right-hand panel of the book or pages uh, contains everything in English. And of the English and Greek pages, both contain um, side-by-side and sit side-by-side the parallel accounts in the Gospels of the four Gospels of the, uh, the events in, within the Gospel told within them. And so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John sat next to one another so that you can see the sometimes subtle differences and sometimes rather stark differences when the same event in the life of our Lord is being told or recounted by the evangelists. And so today you see that we will be reading principally from Mark's gospel, that which is uh, come to be known as Peter's confession, and then after that, in the second part uh, of Jesus foretelling his passion, what it means to be the Messiah. And so permit me to, uh, uh, to read the gospel in, in this fashion for us this morning. Now, from Mark's gospel, the words are, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he charged them to tell no one about him. Now, Matthew's gospel uh, treats the same text Uh, with more embellishment and more detail. Here the same event told through the eyes of Matthew. Remember Matthew writing to a largely Jewish audience, and he recounts this event in this way. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now Luke, still in a different fashion. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the old prophets has risen. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. But he charged and commanded them, to tell this to no one. And so the three gospel writers, uh, the synoptic gospels as they are called, because they have, they're more synchronized, they see things uh, from a similar perspective and time, quite different often from John, but they see this same and pivotal event, uh, some with more detail and um, more inside baseball talk, if you will, as Matthew would have, where the uh, prophets are, are, are listed, rapid fire, Elijah, Jeremiah, okay, John the Baptist, uh, a little more scant uh, as Luke was writing to a Gentile audience, but uh, uh, certainly Matthew is the one that gives us the most, uh, the most detail on this. Yet today our text is drawn from Mark's gospel. Luke has Jesus alone at prayer. Okay, so a little more specific than the others. But then Jesus goes on to foretell his passion, his coming, what it means, what it would mean to be the Messiah, as Peter had just confessed. Mark writes, and Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. Matthew, again, with somewhat more detail, recounts it this way. From that time, that is of the confession, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not on the side of God, but of men. And Luke, in more terse fashion, writes, and again recalling from what was previously uh, said, Jesus charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Well, as you can see, three different accounts, 
three different authors, but each one sharing with us what must have been a very uh, tumultuous emotional uh, moment in the lives of not only all the disciples, but Peter in particular. Eh? From up here to down here, as Mike read from the Psalms, brought low, huh? brought very low. And so I begin with um, sharing this with you, that uh, um, Thursday this week, last week, rather, Thursday last week, I received one of those phone calls, you know the kind, right in the middle of everything seeming to go really well and just right, and you almost forget such that you almost forget that things can just as quickly go wrong. For Noelle and I had just finished uh, visiting Highland Park Elementary School, where we were attending Grandparents' Day. That consists mostly of a, of, a, of a little muffin and a cup of coffee. Children had cartons of milk, but we had breakfast there and then a tour of some classrooms. Uh, we had attended Grandparents' Day. Noelle went with Dee Dee. Uh, who seems to make a lot of appearances in my sermons of late. Uh, but Diana's kindergarten class, Noel went there, but I was invited by and got to go to uh, the classroom of a couple of little girls from our congregation who don't have the experience of grandfathers in their lives at all. Okay, I got to be a surrogate grandfather for two very special little girls in my life from our congregation whose grandparents just started in the picture, okay? And I had just returned to the church and started the morning's activities, preparing for the day and for this day, when our oldest daughter, Emily, called me. That's out of character. Emily never calls me during the day. It's usually when she's riding, driving home from work, she'll give me a call. And she was clearly frazzled, and so she called me, and that's good. For it seemed that her car, as she was driving down the interstate between Anaconda and Butte, uh, that as she was driving 80 miles an hour at some of that curvy road there, that her engine, check engine light came on, and suddenly she found herself without power, and, uh, and she had to wrestle her car off the interstate, as I say, at 80 miles an hour. So um, she was upset, and we visited and she was uh, uh, um, both a bit frightened and a bit perplexed. And so it occurred to me, and I share this with you, realizing there's a lot more profound stories that I could have chosen, examples from my life and others that would be more illustrative, but I wanted to pick something not too traumatic, uh, but uh, serves, I think, to make the point that right when the morning seemed to be going so well, that this had to fall in my lap. This had to happen. Okay? And this is such a small example again, but it works. Knowing uh, just a few of your stories, too, as I look around, uh, I'm confident you, too, can think of moments in your lives when everything seemed to be going along good, okay, even great, only to take an abrupt and sudden change of direction, life-altering change in direction. Okay, And so it is, as we've heard this morning, it was while traveling from one town to another, the region of Caesarea Philippi, again, a town named after Caesar by Nero, so Caesarea. Uh, uh, Jesus abruptly asked the disciples a question. 
And Luke has it a bit differently when Jesus had been at prayer. But uh, the gist of it is Jesus poses this rather sudden question on the heels of what had kind of been a halcyon time uh, before that. Miracles and healings and, and good news. Everything was gone really great. It seemed that Jesus posed the question to the disciples. Who do people say that I am? Okay, And then pours forth this barrage of possibilities. Matthew uh, writes from his uh, Hebrew religious perspective a number of the prophets of old, uh, but very quickly is exhausted the list of possibilities, and Jesus puts a little bit finer point on that. He says, yeah, okay, but who do you say that I am? Okay, And this then uh, elicits Peter's immortal words, you are the Messiah in Matthew, or you are the Christ, the Son of the living in Mark. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God in Matthew. Okay, bullseye. Uh, he hits it right out of the ballpark. Peter had gotten it oh so right. Uh, and uh, after such an out of the ballpark, as I say, observation, uh, what could bring him down? He had to have been elated that he was right and blessed for it. Blessed are you, Simon. And Matthew says, upon you, I, in that confession, I'm going to build my church. And so Peter had to have been riding high. So after that, what could possibly go wrong? Well, as you can read, a lot. Okay, a lot. Again, looking at the psalm, uh, from high to brought very low. For with Jesus' next words about what it actually would mean to be the Messiah, that same Peter found himself compared to Satan. Peter, it seems with respect and sensitivity, tried to reject the notion that Jesus as Messiah should ever have to suffer, much less die, die a shameful death, the most hideous of kinds, at the hands of religious bigots and Roman pagans. God forbid. It was precisely then that Jesus turned the table on Peter and brought him down from his ecstasy with the words, Get behind me, Satan. Okay. Matthew says, Jesus went on to say, you're thinking like men, not like God. Oh, how those words must have stung. How they must have hurt. What had Peter done so wrong as to deserve that? Given the circumstances, I am rather confident that I would have been on board with Peter. That I would have sided with Peter. And I would have been rejected with Peter. Now, as, as a theologian, it's easy to observe that Peter was substituting his own human wisdom for the wisdom of God. I get that. But as a man, Peter is a man, how those words must have hurt. From the top, the pinnacle of his spiritual experience, to a depth of shame and embarrassment and humiliation, I cannot begin to imagine the plunge 
right when things were going oh so right. The bottom dropped out beneath his feet. Do you know that experience? It's kind of like the feeling when the elevator suddenly starts to fall or to drop away under your feet and your stomach comes up into your throat and your whole body's telling you something's very, very wrong. You're falling. Yet for Peter, there probably didn't seem to be a bottom. In such moments, in such transformational sometimes, life-changing moments, the big picture, the expanse of things, they are all reduced and retreat into a small boiling ball of turmoil in the pit of your stomach that commandeers your every thought. You can't think of anything else in that moment. And like Peter, one can be left to ask the question with absolute sincerity, what did I do? What did I say that was so wrong as to deserve this? Now, we can ask why, but I can tell you this, we're not likely to get a satisfying answer. Truth is, the truth is the fault lies not so much in you when you ask that very question, or me, I've asked it, or Peter individually. But it resides deep in our shared, your, mine, Peter, our shared collective nature. The fault lies encoded in the very nature of the world in which we're stuck living. Okay? Now, that reality, I think, is probably fairly, fairly real to, to we who are adults and older adults. To those who are younger, that reality is just now beginning to set in. But I tell you that in the face of that, the good news is that into that very same conflicted world in which we find ourselves, which Peter found himself, which others find themselves, where we can plunge from the heights of joy to the depths of despair, came one who both understands those kinds of reversals and can save us from the power of such reversals, he understands because that one was human, and he can save because that one was also God. Jesus Christ is the one. Jesus understood that Peter longed for what was good and right. He understood that Peter's intentions were good, that his Lord, his master, not be made to suffer so. But you see, Jesus also understood that Peter was not going to get what he wanted or accomplish it in the way Peter initially thought. For you see, Peter, Jesus knew, thinks the way we think. Jesus, though, however, he saw things not only from that human dimension and perspective, Jesus saw from another perspective as well. Jesus saw beyond the pain and the pleasure principle of life that we live, because Jesus could see into 
knew the very face of God and the very depth of God. Thus, he was God and man. Believing that Jesus not only saw God, but that he was God, became the cornerstone of the Christian faith that we share and profess together. Faith became our way. Faith became the Christian way of addressing and living out and living through life's myriad complexities. It's pains and it's pleasures. Life's questions and ambiguities. We live it all by faith in one who could see it all and did understand it all. After this fascinating, this revealing exchange between Jesus and Peter, Jesus took the truth to the masses, okay? As Mark, when he's serving as narrator in his, uh, uh, in his gospel, explained, that Jesus called the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their crosses. Embrace your crosses. Own up to your suffering, your fears, your anxieties, your ambiguities. Take up your cross and follow me. Do it the way I'm going to do it. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life, okay, their lives get wrapped up in his life and his story, they will save their lives. Life would always be fraught with ups and downs. Jesus knew that. The church has experienced that for over 20 centuries. Life will always be fraught with ups and downs. There's always going to be that phone call. There's always going to be that routine test that yields not routine results. Life will always be fraught with ups and downs. We can have it oh so right in one moment, only to find it completely upside down in an instant. Why? Because we are like Peter. Or perhaps I should say Peter, just like us. Peter could no more shield Jesus from his destiny as Messiah than we can shield ourselves, protect our children, or our grandchildren from this world in which we live. Now what we can get right, what we can get right, is how we live, how we approach, and how we respond to life. Our often made confession together that you are the Christ, like Peter's, holds forth the promise that even when life finds itself turned upside down, there is that one who so loved the world that he will be with us. He will be with us no matter what. Therefore, the person of faith is perhaps the freest person of all amidst life's 
ambiguities and complexities, the person of faith is maybe the freest person of all. For come what may, come what will, we need not be unseated from our sense of wholeness and well-being. Rejoicing in the ups, undaunted by the inevitable downs. Such is life in this world, but it is also the promise of the world to come. Jesus asked, what will it profit to gain the whole world and forfeit your life? Indeed, what can you give in return for your life, those who are ashamed of me and of my words? In this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Life's meaning lies not so much in the need to be in control and never have anything negative happen. But rather life's meaning lies in the hope that springs forth from faith. Faith in the one who does remain in control. Faith in the one in whose name we gather. Faith in the one whom we worship. Faith in the one who has to promise to save us in his name. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 Kale Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.